Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. Welcome back. Welcome back once again. Oh, yeah, it's time right now for the Decibel Geek Podcast. Ooh, we're going to have some fun today. My name is Aaron Camaro. Joined as always by my awesome friend and kick ass co host, Mr. Chris Sinzak. I know you're as excited as I am about this. Yeah, this is a. Just the voice that you're about to hear alone is going to be a trip back in time. And then uh, some of his stories are, are, are pretty awesome. Uh, happy to have Charlie Kendall from the legendary Metal Shop on today. The Butcher, the one and only, man, a pretty important piece of my young adultness. Oh, man, I'm stoked. We're going to talk to him for an hour plus And he's going to tell us all kinds of amazing stories. This man is legendary in the pages of hard rock and heavy metal music as one of the most legit guys in radio that loved the music and wanted and fought to bring the music to the people, the hard rock and heavy metal. That's what we do here at the Decibel Geek Podcast, bringing it to the people just the way they like it. And when they like it a lot... Man, they are driven to leave us reviews and recommendations. And hot damn, we got a couple right here today. So we're going to knock these out real quick and then get to the business. So here we go. This first one is a Podchaser review. It is all five pink stars. Heck yeah. And it goes a little something like this. I started listening years ago to Decibel Geek Podcast, and I became a huge fan right away. Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak really know how to keep you entertained while giving the fans some informative news and information about our favorite bands. Plus, they have the absolute best rock and roll game show in the world, Beat the Geek. Plus, they do Friday Night Live live shows on their YouTube channel once in a while. And it gives the fans the chance to interact with the show and get involved with it. And what a great couple of dudes. They also bring new rock and metal bands to the forefront to be heard by their fans. 
They really help support the lifeblood of our beloved genre, and we all love and cherish so much. Cheers to all the Decibel Geek Podcast friends and family. And that comes to us from our awesome friend Ray Kuhn. You know him from Dawn of the Rising. That's awesome. Great to hear from him, and he actually spelled my name correctly. That's a rare occurrence. That is pretty impressive right there. That Ray, he's a smart guy. <laughs> Spell my name correctly. You're in, buddy. You can tell they got a new album out in 2024. He's already angling for that top 10 at the end of the year. Right, yeah. Spelling your name right and everything. Hooey. <laughs> we'll take all the praise. We need it. Love it. Thank you, Ray. And, yes, they do have a new album out, Dawn of the Rising. Check that out now. I guarantee you're going to love it. All right, so we got another one. Hmm, that's weird. I don't see any stars. But they elected not to give us any, apparently. Okay, well, it's a review, and we'll take that. It goes like this. Decibel Geek is a great rock and roll podcast. They have a good mix of the dinosaur bands we all love and grew up with, but I also get turned on to a lot of new music through them, too, all while being funny. Check them out. That comes to us from BJ Wallace right there on the pod chaser. Stars might be missing. But I feel all five in my heart after reading something like that. If you love the Decibel Geek Podcast as much as these fine folks love it, then take that time and give us a review or a recommendation. You can do it on Apple Podcasts, or you can do like these dudes did and do it on the Podchaser. And, of course, always that elusive Facebook recommendation. We love the five stars. If you hit them with all five, we're going to read it on the show to show our love and appreciation. Other folks we love and appreciate... Well, top of the list right now, Pantheon Podcast, man. You wouldn't even be listening to this if it weren't for Pantheon Podcast. You might be listening to it, but we wouldn't have as much confidence in ourselves if not for Pantheon Podcast. Because when Pantheon was created, the idea was to go out and gather up all the best music podcasts available. There's like 4.2 million podcasts in the world. Pantheon only wanted the best music podcast to put under one platform, and so therefore, you send it out to everybody. Somebody says, hey man, I love Decibel Geek Podcast. That's a quality show. I wonder if there's any other quality shows about music that I love out there. Pantheon makes it easy for you. You just go to them. They've already curated the list of the best of the best of the best, and that's where you're going to find it. Pantheon Podcast supports Decibel Geek Podcast. Please support Pantheon on our behalf. Other people that love us and appreciate us, man, we got to give it right back to them. Every time we come out with a new episode, whether it's a geek wire or it's something special like a two freaking hour long discussion about the band Warrant, ooh, a lot of people love that one. You know what I mean? I did too. It was a fun one to put together. Got a lot of great feedback on that. Thanks to everybody that took the time to check it out. And you know what? Whenever we come out with a new episode, no matter what it is, you're always going to see it out there on the socials. we got to let the people know. But we want to let as many people know as possible because it's a big rock and roll party. These are like invites we're putting out there for people to go, what is this? These guys are talking about Warrant for over two hours? i got to listen to this. Well, you guys help us out a lot with that. The fine folks that see our posts on the socials and they retweet them and they share them. Man, we see that. We know what's going on. We know who's helping us out. We put them on the list because we got to give them the love. Every week, the people that have shared 
and retweeted the previous week's episode. Man, we got to name them Geeks of the Week. Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Rock and Ron Runyon, Kristen Schimbeck, Mark Alden-Taylor, Freeform Rock Podcast, Mark and Jerry BS Sessions, David Cathy, Ralph Vieira, Bill Wang, Will Honeycutt, Joseph Capone, Victor Ruiz, Brent Tibbetts, Pantheon Podcast, David Glenn, Mike Parnell, Aaron Baker, John Phillips, Tom Logston, Sit and Spin with Joe, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Shane Hebert, Tony Smith and Obscuria Podcast, Denver D. Serrano, Shay Hargett, Rod Ramsey, Simon Cat, Derek Novak, Myra Chapman, Al Horta, Tom Smoke, Belmondo, Jay Shabluski, Bill Elam, Eladio, Eric Senzak, Kevin's on Fire, Vet Halen, Whiting Guitar Works, Keith Rockford, Two Punk to Be a Podcast, Boris Petrovsky, Brad Owen, Focus on Metal Podcast, Craig Turdich, Sean Geek Podcast, Ray Kuhn, Cesar Atondo, Scott Crouch, and as always, the Mooger Fooger. Oh, yeah. Those are our people, man. I see a lot of new names on there that I've not noticed on here before. Man, you got to give it up for that Warren episode. Everybody sure loved it. And thanks for everybody that shared it and continues to share this show into the future. More eyes on it, more ears in it, more rock and roll. The world's a happier place. We're all making that happen together. Oh, man. I am so ready for this. Yeah, very excited for this. And uh, for all of you that are going to hear this, is yes, Metal Shop is back. It's got a broadcast schedule. Go to charliekindle.com and you'll get it. Yes, do that right away as soon as you're done listening to this. And also get a T-shirt. I was just going to say, get yourself a Metal Shop T-shirt, man. I know I'm going to get me one of those. But here we go, man. It's time right now. We're talking to the man, the butcher, the creator of Metal Shop. The only show with teeth. And we're talking to Charlie Kendall right now on the Decibel Geek Podcast. Metal Shop. Heavy metal to me is a state of aggression, power, and self-independence. Highest form of music there is in the entire world. Loud music, great music. It's wild, it's great. Fans are great. Randy Rhodes is mint. He's the best guitarist ever lived. Metal Shop is cool. Nikki Six. He's the coolest. Best music in the world. Tonight on Metal Shop, Fastway singer Dave King and drummer Jerry Shirley give the feature interview. Dave's little bottom attracts more female species. We'll hear fresh metal from the new album by Canada's Helix, Walkin' the Razor's Edge. Y&T guitarist Dave Minichetti pays tribute to a father of heavy metal, Grand Funk Railroad. Mark Farner would, would get on his knees, on his back, and, you know, and, and really get out there and get crazy with the audience. Twisted Sisters D. Snyder counts down his five favorite metal tracks of all time. Judas Priest, K.K. Downing, answers a question from a Metal Shop listener. Hi, everyone. This is K.K. Downing of Judas Priest. This is Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. All right. This is Dave Menachetti from Y&T. Hi, this is Jerry Shirley from Fastway. Hi, this is Dave King from Fastway, and I'll be coming to you on The Metal Shop. You'll hear them all tonight on the show where you feel the noise. Metal Shop. I'm Charlie Kendall, and this is Metal Shop's third most valuable metal of the week, Quiet Riot.
Charlie. This is Aaron Camaro, my co-host. It's an honor from both of us to meet you. Yeah. Well, I've, I've met you both, uh, sort of, by watching your podcast. Oh, nice. It's, it, it's been very nice to, to watch you guys work. Oh, thank you. Right That's an on. honor to hear that. Yeah, especially coming from you, Charlie. Man, when I was a kid, at the age when you're old enough to drive, but you're too young to go to the bars, I'm in a little town in central Wisconsin. We don't get no metal shop where I live. But me and my buddy, we'd hop in the car sometimes and drive two hours to go to Appleton, Wisconsin, oh. just so we could hang out in a parking lot with a bunch of other rock and rollers that were underage and couldn't go to the bars, and drive around, try to meet girls, and listen to Metal Shop. <laughs> I think I was uh, listened to more than probably any other radio host in a parking lot of a mall in the middle of the night. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, 100% true. <laughs> You're probably responsible for some children, Charlie. Yeah. Well, it's possible. I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not going. <laughs> oh man. So I, I've been in touch with Corey Harker, who's been a, a big help with uh, the, the re the relaunch of, of metal shop. And I, a help. He's been the, he's guy. the guy. And I go back yeah. with him several years. So, when I heard he was working with you, I was like, he's in good hands because Corey knows his stuff. He, he's a he's a smart guy. Well, it took him some doing to talk me into it because uh, I had pretty much given up. I had said, you know, it's just not going to work. And it was fun. I, I had a great 11 years. It was a nice run. And I tried to start it again, but, it uh, you know, nobody wanted to play. And, uh, along comes Corey, who refused to stop. Nice. Here we are, rolling. We're into our 18th show now. Yeah, and so you, you've relaunched through KFRK, which is uh, Ron Keel's uh, media company. And if you don't know, the RFK stands for Ron fucking Keel. That's it. And um, that's a great uh, that's a great c- combination of people there. We've worked with Ron ourselves in the past, and he's a super professional guy, not only talented, but one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. Oh, he does. He doesn't stop. He's nonstop, twenty four seven. He's working on four albums right now. Wow, simultaneously! Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's working on four albums. His, uh, you know, a, a Keel one, and I think a solo one, and then two other bands that he's also recording. So right on. Yeah, he's been a busy fellow lately. Yes, he has that's for sure. And while we're on the subject of the new version of Metal Shop. Charlie Kendall's Metal Shop, KRFK Radio, Saturday, 7 Eastern, Wednesday, 11 Eastern. Uh, New HD Media, Monday, 7 Eastern. Metal Shop, Monday, five hours. First hour is a new show, then Classic Metal Shop after that. Friday, 7 Eastern. Sunday, 11 Eastern. Also, 97 Underground, Monday, 4 Eastern. And WCSTFM, Charleston, can't speak. Sunday at 7 (laughs) Eastern. Um yeah, that's yeah, that's the, the new actual broadcast station. Yeah, and um, right yeah, I wanted to get that out first because you know we're in more of an on-demand society, so you know you got to catch it when it's actually on, so like yeah. the old days, and uh, listen to it that way. But it's uh, it's so great that it's back. And now, like you said, you had kind of stopped because a couple of years ago I was reaching out to you trying to get you to come to Rock and Pod here in Nashville because I'm like Charlie would be treated like a king. You did that with you. It was you. me. Yeah, yeah, I remember that conversation. And he come and Charlie comes back and goes, "I am most undoubtedly retired." And uh but thank you for the offer. <laughs> and then 
year and a half, two years later, here we are, Metal Shop relaunching. So uh, uh-huh. I, uh, I hope you'll come to Rock and Pod next year when we do it in 2025. <laughs> yeah. Well, you awesome. were probably in my back of my mind when I first started to do. I just I was I had nothing to do, so I did a podcast. And it was based on some old interviews and different stuff that I had, and um, and I you know I just did it fooling around in my in my studio and and put it out and there was response, yeah, and that led me to getting more shows because I couldn't buy the old metal shop shows, they had thrown them away, they threw them in the garbage, oh. five hundred eighty five shows. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, then Clear Channel, now iHeart. And uh, when they bought MJI, we said, what is this shit? And they, you know, they, they threw it away. Damn. It was all in storage and uh, all the original interviews and the eight-track tapes and the mix-downs and the two-tracks and the CDs, all gone, all of it. <sighs> and um, I had, a you know, a 100 or so shows that I had kept over the years, and then... New HD wanted more because they wanted to run more. So I started looking for them, and that's how I ran into Corey. Because Corey's got some metal shots. Uh, yeah, I have no doubt. He's probably got most of them, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Nice. And uh, he ended up sending me a bunch, and then we started talking, and then he introduced me to Ron, and suddenly, here I am. <laughs> it was that simple. Right on. Yeah. When did you when did you know that you had a, a, a voice for radio? It sounds like I, mean, I read up that you you got started as early as fourteen. But like, did you know you had a gift for it really really young? No, not at all. I um, I've been attracted to radio since I got the transistor and it went under my pillow when I was about uh, eleven or twelve years old. The summer of my twelfth year, there was a job opening at a, a local TV repair shop. Fitz's radio and TV repair, and they were looking for a tube caddy. You got to know this is 62, 63. And I carried the tubes around in a big box for, for old Mr. Fitz, and we repaired radios and televisions all over town. Wow. And that was my first ever job. And where so, is this? Where'd you grow up? Clarksdale, Mississippi. Okay. Yeah, a little, little bitty town, but uh, lots come out of there. Buddy Waters. Home of Morgan uh, Freeman, John, isn't it? John Lee Hooker, yeah. Who was? Isn't Morgan Freeman from there? Morgan Freeman is actually from Charleston, Mississippi. Oh, okay. But he lives there now. Well, actually, Morgan's got houses all over Hell's Half Africa. But <laughs> one of them is also in Clarksdale. He uh, moved there with a friend of mine I used to play basketball with, an attorney. And he came there with Bill Luckett a lot and ended up moving there. Then he couldn't get into the, you'll love this. This is, you know, 2024. This was maybe five, ten years ago. He couldn't get into the country club. And they had the best meals in town or pretty much in all of North Mississippi. So he couldn't get in. So he built a restaurant (laughs) and hired the chef from the country club. Oh, wow. (laughs) And... Had himself a restaurant. And then as he's there more and more, he got a house. And then he decided to build the biggest blues club in North Mississippi. Uh, oh, and, and he did. And it's right there now. And it's uh, it's called Ground Zero. It's a great club. Great food. Catfish. Fried chicken. You know, 
gumbo, all kinds of stuff. And bands come from all around to play there. I think Bonnie Raitt's even played in there. Buddy Guy plays in there a lot. Uh, but it's it's a great place. I never imagined we'd get a Morgan Freeman story today when we started this, but that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like I like going all over the map. That's yeah. fun. Well, when I, I was 14 and learned to play uh, guitar, you know, I was 14 and I had just been playing in football between 12 and 14 in peewee football where it doesn't matter how big you are. Uh-huh. And and I would hit anything. I don't care if they weigh 300 pounds. I weighed 98. I would hit them. And, but when you get to be about 14, all of a sudden there is a 350-pound guy with lots of muscles, and I'm not hitting them. You know? <laughs> so I said, I think I need to learn how to play guitar. You know, because I'm not going to be playing football after the game, you know, during the game. So I'll play after the game. And I that's what I did. I learned to play guitar from a guy named Jack Johnson, who was a noted blues guitarist. He was a bass player at the time with a band called Frank Frost and the Nighthawks. A three-piece combo. Frank Frost played uh, guitar. Jack played bass. Sam, I forget his name, played played drums. And the three of them, they played all over. And I was basically Jack Johnson's white roadie. You know, <laughs> it's the only way I could get into the juke joints, you know, in the mid-60s, yeah. you know. And people would look at me, and Jack was say, leave that boy alone. And that was it. You know, nobody bothered me. And I got to feel it, yeah. not just see it or learn it. And I would rent Jack's guitar during the week, Monday through Friday. I would rent his guitar for a dollar a day. It was a Sears Silvertone bass and amp. I rented it for a, do- a dollar a day. He would show me a riff. I would bring it back, pay him. I w- he would make me play the riff, and then he would tell me what I was doing right or wrong. And that's how I learned to play. Wow. And he- Jack went on, and, and he did very well. He- he's gone now, but, man, he was he was a good one. I don't know how we got to that story either, but we did. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, well, with uh, with radio, and uh, well, for my personal um memory of, of getting into metal shop. I, for me, it was 96 rock in Atlanta was where I used to listen to it and, uh, listen to it. I think it was every Saturday night on that station. Then I moved to Nashville and then KDF had it for a while and it was on Sunday nights. But, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, you know, back then you didn't have the internet, you had magazines like hit parader, rip uh-huh. metal edge, and you had your show. Metal but then, maker, yeah. Green. Yeah. Cream, that's right. Um, but then there's also the other shows like uh, Rockline with Bob Coburn. Was there competition between uh, Metal Shop and Rockline back in those days? No, no. There was there was no real competition in that field. Mm, right. When I decided that there had to be a hard rock, heavy metal show, there was nothing. Right. There was zero competing with us. Um, and that's what I had a hard time convincing uh, the networks to take the show. And uh, many of them were sorry they didn't take it, but MJI took it after um, the producer that I had uh, I had sent two guys around, a guy named John McGann and another guy named Denny Somak, both both of whom were great great producers. And I sent them. I said, "Go find a, you know find us a uh, a syndicator who will distribute this show." And uh, John said, "Josh Feigenbaum at MJI is interested, but he's not convinced." I said. Judas Priest, they're playing Friday night at Madison Square Garden. Take him there. Yeah. That's it. It was over. End of discussion. Yeah. You know, he saw what was happening. He said, yeah, there's something happening here. 
<laughs> what it is so, is very clear. I'm sorry. So before that, I mean, <laughs> so you see it before anybody else. Like, you see that there's a market for a radio show for hard rock fans. When did you come to that realization? Is it because you saw so many people were into it, or is it because you were into it? I was known when I first got into radio at 14 years of age as B-Side Charlie. Nice. Because the B-Side of For Your Love by the Yardbirds was I'm a Man. I liked I'm a Man. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. I put on the wrong side. And I put <laughs> it on the little Top 40 station there in Clarksdale. Uh, and I would, <laughs> I would do that on occasion. you know. And you had Mystic Eyes, and you had Summertime Blues and Blue Cheer. There's all this incredible, basically, hard rock verging on metal, if you look at Frigid Pink and other things of that nature, that all came out 66, 67. You know, and that's that's where the birth of metal is, to me, much yeah. more so than than even Sabbath. But that's that's just my opinion. So I liked all of that to begin with. When I got to New York to WNEW, they played a whole lot of Poco, and they had a like a less than a one share point, less than one percent of the people in New York City were listening to WNEW, and the I, math the I, math I, checks out on that. <laughs> on well, I Poco. said, here's the deal: <laughs> you don't play enough rock and roll. You want yeah. anybody between eighteen and thirty four, you got to play some fucking rock and roll, you know. And they didn't play ZZ Top, you know. And I said, "Where's Smoke on the Water?" And he wasn't there, you know. And I'm like. So I fixed all that, and boom, you know, it got up to about a five, and all was well. But getting there, I knew it was about to happen. It was about to explode, and it was the right place at the right time. And I just happened to be the guy who had a fondness for that kind of music. I still do. That's awesome to know that it comes from you and you appreciating the music. Oh, yeah. it, it It's like Corey and I throw music back and forth more so than I did with the, uh, with the guys at MJI. I basically had the idea, gave it to John McGann. We formatted it and then gave it to MJI. And they kept that basic format through the whole 11 years. One thing that Aaron and I kind of are interested in is like kind of the nuts and bolts of how the show would get put together every week. Like, was it, was it a one-man show? Was there a crew of people? Like certain people would do interviews, and Remember, how did it all work? MJI was a corporation. Mm-hmm. You know, they were a syndicated company. They were sold to Clear Channel, you know, iHeart, for $68 million. There were like six or seven people working on my show. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and I was the the boss of the biggest rock station on the planet. I don't have a whole lot of time to go out, you know, and say hello to bands. I was notorious enough without without getting into that. And if I meet someone and we have an affinity to hang out together, I'm going to get in fucking trouble. <laughs> you know, and it was it's it was just always been that way. And I so I avoided getting into that situation. For that reason that I'll end up hanging around with them until 6 in the freaking morning and then have to go to work. Or <laughs> I'll find out that I don't like them. You yeah. know, meeting your heroes is not an easy thing to do. You guys have done a lot of interviews. 
you know, sometimes people just aren't what the fuck they seem to be. Oh, yeah. I can think of one person in particular right off the top of my oh, head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, who's been a guest on Charlie's show several times. Um, I have anyway, no idea. Yeah. I'm staying out of it. Uh, just a one, the one Vinnie Vincent. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, <laughs> Vinnie's crossed a few paths uh, and pissed off a lot of people. But hey, yeah, I'm glad. Well, he, I'm glad he's doing okay. In a manner of speaking, <laughs> um, <laughs> Metal Shop is brought to you by Budweiser. For all you do, this Bud's for you. Metal Shop. <laughs> This is Vinnie Vincent of the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. I'm tonight's special guest host on Metal Shop. And if my name sounds familiar, you've either seen it on the side of a post office wall as a wanted criminal, or you see me play lead guitar with Kiss. But now I've got my own band called the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. And before I forget, Charlie Kendall asked me to tell you that he'll be back next week, but for now, you're all mine. I was checking out Metal Shop last weekend and heard Alice Cooper guest hosting the show. Now I've got a tough act to follow, but I promise that tonight you're in for a total metal invasion. And here's what's coming up in the next 60 minutes. There's a few little metal shops that are on that are on YouTube you, you can pick up you'll, or you get bits and pieces of them. But I was listening to one from 88 with uh, it was an interview with Vinnie Vincent Invasion and um, but I just that's love a, the way that's the show. A shitty is copy of it too, though. Oh, it's yeah, the sound quality. It's like you're, you know, recording on a tape recorder on off the radio. Yeah. No, I. Oh, I'd love to hear pristine copies. I'm gonna have to. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to beg Corey to send me some of the uh, the old stuff. He has. You know, whenever I complain about something, he goes, "Oh, I got that," and suddenly there it is. I've got it, a clean one. My heart breaks a little bit just at the idea of that kind of stuff getting thrown in a dumpster somewhere. Oh, I know. You would, I was ready to pay for it. I yeah. would have paid for it. I would have borrowed money to buy the library because I know what's in there. And there was, there was nothing, you know. And when I talked to the president of Premier, the syndication wing of uh, iHeartMedia, they are the syndicators now of, of everything, and they bought – they would they would own it now. So I talked to the president, and I said, I want to buy the thing. I can't. It, it's gone. You know? It's, it's really literally gone. I said, well, I'm going to get as many as I can, and I'm going to give them to this uh, um, station that's uh, on the air for autism, you know, for new HD media. That, their whole thing is they hire autistic people. And... If they're a 501c charity group, I, I want to give it to them. And I did. You know, everything that I've had goes to them. And she said, well, Charlie, all I can tell you is they didn't want it. Okay? Do what you have to do. And that was yeah. it. So I figured, okay, I guess that'll be all right. You know, because it's uh, it's kind of shaky as to who owns rights to what when it gets right. to it. You know, but... Yeah. So I I just gave it to them, and you know, if they want to take on a charity group, go ahead. Let them take them. Um, one thing that was always repeated several times throughout the show that I even I think I had just straight burned into my memory was 666 Fifth Avenue, New York, New York, 10103. Um, yeah. You would hear that every week multiple times. Was it a happy coincidence that that was the address, or was that really the address? It was a happy coincidence. In the first show, 
we're, they had rented a studio because they didn't have any studios at MJI. They had like five or six syndicated things, but they didn't have a studio to really record clean voice. Well, people would, you know, record it at their radio station, then send it to them. That's really what was happening. And so they rented a studio, and I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm looking over the scripts, and I got I got down to that. I went six six, and I went and I went. Wait a minute, retake. And when I did, I went six 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 Fifth Avenue, you know. And oh, yeah. it stuck, and it, people cracked up in the place because nobody had realized it until it came out of my mouth that that was that was a thing. Wow, so awesome to hear you say it. <laughs> Well, you know, you mentioned the the original tapes getting getting destroyed or, or thrown out. Um, I'm sure you're more than familiar with the uh, infamous Casey Kasem rant uh, audio where they got him behind the scenes doing reads and he just loses his temper. Is there any tapes maybe buried somewhere of Charlie Kendall just going off? Mm-hmm. The people, uh, my producers and the engineers and writers, et cetera, at MJI produced... Every year, Charlie Kendall's outtakes <laughs> and played it at the Christmas party every year. And I was astounded at some of the things I said. I, I, <laughs> yeah. And I would get, you know, I would go. I, it was just like Casey Kasem. I mean, when you're in there, you're trying to find a zone yeah. to to communicate, you know, a whole concept into words and shove it in the air. It's uh, you, you have to focus. You have to, you know, you have to be focused. You have to stay on point, and you've got to know what the hell you're talking about. And it's got to wow. come through that you know what you're talking about. And if something gets in the way, I could occasionally, you know, go off. <laughs> but I heard that um, that was a a, a stage tape. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't tell me that. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. I I I know this craft and I know the people that do it. You know, yeah. it's you know, that wasn't staged. That was the No, real it sounded deal. very real. You know? <laughs> and I heard oh, that man. uh Dick Clark could go off better than anybody. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I could too. But I never met Dick. Oh, that's funny. Had a great well, had a great time in his town in Philadelphia though for four years. Oh yeah, I uh, you mentioned the Rolling Stones, and so Corey made sure to tell me to have you relay a awesome Keith Richards story you supposedly had. In 1989, it was the first Rolling Stones farewell tour. That's 1989. They're not. Yeah. So ABC hired me to uh, to interview them for a couple of one-on-one interviews: one with Mick, one with Keith. The one with Mick was in a studio and very clinical and, you know, it, it was good. Mick was it, the best I've ever seen him in terms of really giving answers. And he didn't beat around the bush and he didn't get sidetracked, which I had 30-something questions and I ran out of questions before my time was up. I had to ask the crew, all right, anybody got a question for the Rolling Stones? Because <laughs> there was nothing there. And anyway, we came up with more, and, and we got through it. With Keith, it's backstage before their performance at Shea Stadium. There's a table. There's Bill German, who's their, you know, publicist, the, the guy who publishes their uh, uh, magazine, the Rolling Stones magazine. 
and I forget another guy from ABC and me and a bottle of rebel yell. And <laughs> Keith and I go one-on-one -on -one with this bottle of rebel yell. We finish it within the hour. We shake hands. We go, you know, um, he goes upstairs. We get everything wrapped up. I go upstairs after him and I, I had really good seats and I'm looking out and I'm watching the show and I'm starting to get the whirlies. And about halfway through the three-hour show, I'm like, I got to get on a train and go back to Philadelphia. You know? <laughs> so I, I had stumbled out of my seat, got back on the train, and went on back to Philadelphia. But during the interview, the most amazing thing to me was a story that's been repeated many times by Keith. The thing is, it's been told many ways. That night, Keith's story was he was playing a gig with Chuck Berry and he looked at the guitar and Chuck told him, don't, don't touch my guitar. And they're walking down the hallway later and he reaches up to grab his shoulder and grab the guitar instead. And Chuck turned around and popped him right in the face. <laughs> and Keith said, I grabbed the walls. I grabbed everything because I wasn't going to go down. And I didn't. And I said, did you bleed? He said, not telling. <laughs> and that was it, you know. And the one he, the, the way he told it on um, on the Tonight Show or something was, was different from that. You know, it's a little bit more refined and sophisticated and, and not so back alley. But I can see the back alley with Chuck Berry and uh, Keith Richards. Don't touch my guitar. Don't touch my guitar. Real simple. Yeah, Chuck Berry seemed like a frightening person to me. <laughs> Very talented, but wouldn't want to cross him. No, 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 no. He he had to be tough in those days. Yeah. I mean, you have to imagine what it's like. Uh, you know, he's, first of all, you're working for Chess Records to start with. And they they robbed everybody. You know, he wasn't like he was picked out. They, they robbed everybody, and and they did. But they also helped everybody, and eventually it all worked its way out. But Chuck, in order to be, you know, what he to be the guy he had to be, when you were playing the Chitlin circuit in the '60s, you're playing some juke joints that there, there's nothing but you know, sawed-off shotguns, thirty-eights, and uh, and razors in people's shoes. So. You had to be tough. Yeah. Even up until last time I saw him was, yeah, I think it's like early mid eighties in Philadelphia. He comes in. I was, I was going to be at that show. And I, I was there at the club and he came into the office with the owner <laughs> and he said, okay, where's my money? And guy put the money down. He counted it. $10,000. His, you know, mid eighties, ten thousand cash. Put it back in his pocket. Said, "Okay." Says, "Where's the band downstairs?" He went. That was it, you know. And the thing that got me was how much business he was there. You think of Chuck Berry on stage, any time you've ever seen him live, or film. I mean, he's he's on. He's magical. Yeah. He's Chuck fucking Berry. Yeah, and yeah. 
there aren't many guys like that, you know? I mean, when he comes out and does a show, you always see a smile on his face. Other than when Yoko started singing that one time on the, <laughs> on the Mike Douglas Legendary. show. That was that was a classic and a half. It's the greatest facial expression. Of it all was. Time. What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And he summed up what everyone else was feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Except John. Yeah. Except John. Yeah. John loved it. Yeah. <laughs> God bless the guy that turned off her microphone. Oh man, yeah. There was I was watching the um, the Beatles, the Let It Be Disney series that came out a couple of years ago, and um, there's there's the, all this footage, and part of it was um, Yoko starts yelling, and then Paul McCartney jumps on drums, and then John Lennon's doing, and they're just making this ridiculous noise for like ten minutes, and they left all of that in the movie, which was weird. Yeah. And then at the and I'm and I made a post on Facebook, and I'm saying watching as this happens, thinking I wonder if John Lennon's on drugs. And then at the end of the song, John Lennon goes, "I think that should be on the album." I'm like, "Yep, he's on drugs." <laughs> Metal shop. Tonight in the feature interview, lead singer Mark Tureen of today's hottest new band, The Bullet Boys, tells why less is more when it comes to playing hard, driving rock and roll. The less you possibly can do and the more in that stanza or in that certain part of the song, you can just come out and just nail something. People go, whoa. But I, I listened to an, uh, the, an interview you did with uh, our buddy Chris Aiken recently and, and Neely, um, and you, you did seem to get a little fired up about the Communications Act of 1996, and uh, I'm guessing that that was a, a huge part of what ended up killing off Metal Shop in general, right? Well, Metal Shop, it was coming before the Communications Act. I mean, once corporations saw that they could own these stations as real estate with no knowledge or comprehension of what the hell they actually were or of anything in the Communications Act of 1934, I'll use the original, meant it was going to go south because all they were there for is the money. That's all most of them are there for today. The ones who are actual broadcasters most of them are still in business. Most of them are still profitable because they haven't lost the essence of what it was. You know, the stations that are a part of their community, the stations that really work the town, work the audience, and become a part of the fabric of the, the community they're in, they're going to be there yeah. as long as there are retail outlets. I went into Kohl's yesterday, had to return something from Amazon, and you go to Kohl's to, you know, hand it to them, and then they send it back and refund your money. I go in there, and it's like a Monday afternoon. There are, I don't know, 15, 10 or 15 employees in a big-ass store. And one other shopper besides me. And I'm going, what's going to pay for this? Yeah. Brick and mortar is in a deep shit creek. It's, you know, they're... It, it, it's horrible out there, you know, because you can get everything you want right in front, right in front of your, uh, your face and right. order it. It's there. Yeah. I was talking to my kid the other night, and we were talking about Metal Shop, and 
how excited I was to get to talk to you and told him that story about driving two hours to listen to a radio show. (laughs) And it doesn't, you can see it don't really register with him. And it's like, well, that was a different time when everything had an appointment time to it. You know, there was no going back and listening to it if you missed it. So if it was like a televised event, you had to be there. You know, if it was, for example, here in Metal Shop, you had to go. You had to get to where you could hear it to hear it because once it was gone, it's gone, you know, and that's that changed everything. And radio became like McDonald's. You know, I worked on radio for years. And I remember when it starts changing, you know, when all of a sudden it's all on the computer and it's all the set playlist and you don't dare change none of that. Man, I got in trouble so much when I worked on radio. This is like early 2000s where it was the last chance any kid DJ that wanted to sneak in his own CDs and play some cool stuff and sneak it in and get away with it. It was the end of an era for that stuff. And then it's like, we're going to take away the morning show that's a part of the community, and we're going to pipe in this other show that's you know comes from wherever. Yeah. And it lost connection with the people there. And like I always remember I played a song off of Ace Fraley's 1978 solo album one time, and the phone lines lit up. And I know I'm not supposed to be playing that, but I did it anyway. It was a deep cut off the album. And the first line is, I can't believe you're playing this, man. That's amazing. And then the next line is, oh, my God, I don't think I've ever heard this on the radio. And the next line is, dude, this is amazing. And the next line is, this is your boss. What are you playing right now? And I go, well, well, sir, it's a song off of Ace Fraley's 1978 solo album. And you wouldn't believe I just got a whole bunch of phone calls that people really like it. And he's like, I'm going to need to see you in my office tomorrow morning. I'm like, oh. And I'd get in trouble for that stuff. But people loved it. You know, would love to hear something different. But it's just select people now, I think. You know, there was a time when it was so popular that everybody loved it. But then we got to the point where fads change and they come and go. And That's what they did in the early 90s. Yeah, most people are going to just go with whatever the fads are. When when grunge came around and and the uh, alternative and grunge came around, the radio consultants were telling the people at MJI, you got to stop saying metal. You can't say the word metal. It's offensive. And I'm going, who the fuck is it offensive to? You know, <laughs> tell them not to listen. They got a choice, you know. <laughs> but that was the way it was. I mean, yeah. and that's what killed the show initially, eventually because they ended up, compromising and i was there on the shop you know and there, and the last show was what nirvana or was it slash i forget now but it it really you know drifted completely off a of target they changed the formulas they changed the elements of the show and different things like that and the show went from 250 stations to 60 you know and i said that's it hey look you're going by we're, 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 we're going to be off the air any minute now. I'm going to go leave now because I don't like what we're doing anyway. So that yeah. was that. And I think they tried for a couple of weeks with some guest hosts and gave it up. You know, I, that was it. But now we got Eddie Trump. Eddie does a good show. Yeah. You know, Eddie does a good show. 
D. Snyder, who's the motherfucker who named me the butcher because his brother was my one of my producers. And he used to oh. complain to D about how I butchered his scripts. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's doing a promo for me, and he comes out with that, the butcher, and it's stuck. You know, and I'm going, yeah, sure, okay. I can live with that. That's fine. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I love D. D's, D's a good man. You know, I like him. He's a good dude. And, <laughs> as he says, he's a great shouter. You know, and oh, he yeah. is. He's a, he's oh, a yeah. natural born entertainer. No matter what he tries, he's great at. Well, yeah. the, the other thing on uh, KRFK that got me interested in that was, you know, I didn't know Joe Elliott had a radio show. You know, I guess that's not on anywhere else except that station in in the U.S. Is anybody carrying it? I don't know. I just know of, of just Ron's station where I've, I've heard of it being on there. Yeah, it's good. You know, the other shows he has on there are all quality shows. They all have elements of authenticity about them. Right. That's what I like about Ron. That's what I like about his radio station. And that's why what I like about working with this group of people is the authenticity, and there's not a lot of that around in the uh, broadcast game, be it uh, Internet or over the year. Uh, yeah. Authenticity seems to be a four-letter word in, in a lot of uh, mainstream media. So it's like, yeah. they, what's worked before? Let's do that. That's that's pretty much it. You know, it's they don't tend to want to break new ground, it seems. And, I, and actually, I, I want to give a shout-out to our buddy Lonnie, um, who hosted a show here in Nashville that was very much patterned on um, what Metal Shop did. Yeah. And um, local FM station here took him off the air, but he did a great job. It was called Metal Works. Yep. And uh, very much reminded me of, of your old show. And um, But, yeah, it just – but we went there to – we appeared on the show to prom promote uh, the expo. And uh, while we were there, we're walking out, and we go by Studio A there, and – it's empty, and you're hearing the guy talking, and I'm like, is it all automated now? He's like, pretty much. Yeah. Just about everything is automated. You can walk down like, any the hallway of any radio station in America at high noon and see about four people, and there are wild. six stations there, you know, and most of those are salespeople and secretaries. I'd be at a party on a Saturday night, and somebody would say, hey, man, you're on the radio, <laughs> or you'd be talking to a girl and saying, hey, yo, I'm Aaron. That's me. And they like, no, no it's, it's how how can that be you? You know, like, damn it. <laughs> it's true. I hated it. I heard you mention in uh, a recent interview that uh, you've been friends with Artie Kornfeld since 1982. Oh, yeah, we uh, we got to go down to Florida and interview him last year uh, about Woodstock and uh, amazing character Artie. Artie is is a force of nature unto himself. He is so, uh, yeah. he, he's astounding. Um, I think, <laughs> I think right after his visit to Philadelphia that, that lasted, uh, I think a week, uh, I think he, he went and got sober. <laughs> we had some fun. Oh, I believe it. And yeah, we were, we did the interview and it was nice and proper and had good stories. And then we finished the interview and then he just kept going. Oh no. And it was just like, and then the stories got crazier and crazier yeah. and cra like, <laughs> but he'd be saying it so matter of fact like he's waiting on a bus yeah and like oh yeah here's what i did with mick jagger that night and paul mccartney took me out and hooked me up with this girl and i'm like slow down you know it's all real that's yeah, yeah. it's crazy 
Yeah, he was an awesome guy to be around. So when you we talk about like the downfall of radio, in a lot of ways, because the authenticity, especially in rock and the radio connection, goes away and it becomes so sanitized, it really gives birth to podcasting. And especially we're talking about rock podcasting, what Chris and I do, what so many of our friends that we've made over the years do, what all the guys that go to rock and pod do. How do you feel about that? You know, being a professional radio man to see that now anybody can start a rock music podcast. It that's great. Yeah, you like that. Why could that that's no problem. Anything that's good will rise. Yeah. It's going to happen. If you're good and you get out there and you continue to deliver, you're going to be okay. You'll be all right. The tough thing we have now is <laughs> I'm sure you know, is making money. You know, it, it's hard to make a living. I mean, even though there's a lot of vision that we have with what we do, that people think that, oh, he's a star. Bullshit. You know, <laughs> I'm a disc jockey. I'm an old disc jockey. And I did make a lot of money, you know, and I got a little of it left. <laughs> and that's that, you know, in the meantime, you know, I got, I still got groceries to pay and da 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 da. But, you know, the whole thing now that in, that fascinated me was how hard it is to find advertising. They should be in the, all over this. I, I don't know why they're not. Because advertising, Madison Avenue, if you will, has always generated toward hot mediums. What is the hot medium? What is the hot thing? You know, when FM came out, we had waterbeds on the air and, and we had head shops. All yeah. of a sudden, the ratings went through the roof and we're advertising Cadillacs. That's the way it was. You know, and but I don't see any of that really happening in, in, in podcasting. And it should be. You know, I, <laughs> Ron Keel was the first one to tell me he, he thought that we should get Craftsman to uh, be the sponsor. Craftsman's Tools brings you... You know, metal shop. Oh, that makes total sense. And I'm like, Perfect. Fuck, that's great. What's wrong with that? He said, they won't give me an answer. And I'm going, okay. <laughs> you know, but it's like, who do you get to for that? What division, you know, just handles, you know, internet or social media or whatever the hell you we call what we do? I don't know. And it might be one of those things where somebody comes to somebody that makes a decision like that. And says, hey, you know, we got this podcast. We think it'd be a perfect connection for you guys to be a part of this. And he goes, oh, podcast? My nephew does a podcast. And so there's so many people that do it, it makes it seem inferior. They're like, oh, this, my goofy cousin does a podcast. Because anybody can do it. Well, and that's okay. I think that's fine. If I were an advertiser, you know, I would find a way to cultivate a group of podcasters who were showing promise and then yeah. find the ones out of it, you know, by giving them a hundred dollars a month or whatever, you know, to, to sponsor into a big push where you're getting millions. I mean, right. but I don't think anybody in advertising thinks that far ahead, you know? Well, yeah. we, yeah, we're, well, we're on a net, a music podcast network ourselves. Right. And... We're grateful for Pantheon. I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Is that the, the one where it's like a, a club? You have to join and pay money, and then you can see special things. 
Uh, no, that's Chris Sinzak's OnlyFans account. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where you pay for me to keep my clothes on. Patreon, that's what I'm thinking. Of. Oh, oh, yeah, pa- okay. That's- oh, yeah, we we also do a Patreon. Um, yeah, it's, it's a small following, but it, it, it's cool, and it's extra content for them. But, no, we're on a, a network called Pantheon Podcast Network. That's uh, It's a music podcast network. Okay, well, I'll have to look them up. Yeah, yeah. do it. I'll send you some info. I know Ron's on uh, Patreon, and uh, yep, we've Ron's the king of oh, Patreon. Oh yeah, yeah, He's I think awesome. he does pretty well with that. I'm, we've talked about offering up uh, the new metal shop shows, you know, mm-hmm. you know, in a in a subscriber type fashion. You know, I'm not sure how that's all going to work. It's like you know, I can't. It's I want to push and I want to push hard, but I don't want to push Ron too hard. Because he's got so much on the table, yeah. And his his heart and soul is the music. I mean, yeah. And that, and you gotta love him for that, you know. And sure. I don't want to get in the way or get in between him and his music. I think that's a bad place to be, and I don't want to be there. So I I'm waiting until he can you know find his way through this, and uh, then we'll you know we'll see if we can push ahead in different ways of uh, of getting the show. I mean, at this particular moment in time, the only revenue stream we have is Metal Shop T-shirts. If it weren't for Metal Shop T-shirts, I couldn't pay my electricity bill. Everybody listening to this, go get you a Metal Shop T-shirt. <laughs> I'll be getting one for sure, and yeah, I'll put me the too. link to it in the show notes for this episode because I, yeah. Yeah, I want to help any way I can. The, the link to everything is at charliekendall.com. It's all nice. these. Now, it's time for Rock of Ages, where a hot new hard rock artist can pay tribute to his favorite metal musicians. Now, tonight in the studio, we've got Klaus Eichstadt, lead guitarist with the eccentric new California band Ugly Kid Joe. Now, instead of talking about an artist that he listened to while growing up, Klaus wanted to discuss a band that he admires now, Metallica. All right, Klaus, tell us why you chose them. I just say Metallica because they're like one of the first bands probably in a long time to really... You know, they did it solely for themselves, and they had their own sound, and they didn't ever budge in terms of radio and stuff. I mean, now, you know, they're big, and they made it, so they're going to be AOR, but we're from the Bay Area, so I grew up, and I saw the whole thing, you know, the rise of the whole thrash metal scene in the Bay Area and all that, and it's really cool because I even myself sometimes doubted, God, how, you know, a band with this such a hardcore sound, how could they ever really be successful? And it's just like they proved everybody wrong. They never, you know, got played on the radio, and they're like, I mean, they're the band that really from the roots, just stuck with what they did and proved everybody wrong, like I said, and never really changed just to please the radio people or the record people. They just kept their own thing going, and now they're like the biggest band in America. Ugly Kid Joe guitarist Klaus Eichstad talking about his favorite band, Metallica. Now, off Ugly Kid Joe's debut EP, As Ugly As They Want To Be, here's everything about you. I didn't even I didn't even have a website when we started this thing. Oh really? Yeah, like what was it? Back in October. That's when we started. Wow. So you're you're jumping in head first into the whole revolution of social media. So I should we expect you to be dancing on TikTok any day now? That probably won't happen. <laughs> I I have a I have a feeling that it's not gonna happen. It's just a guess, but I could be wrong. Yeah, every time I think of si- doing a decibel geek TikTok account, I'm like I'm in my 40s. I can't do that. It's just. It's just well, I'm in right. my 70s and I ain't fucking doing that. So there. <laughs> if you go on TikTok and dance, I'll do it. Okay, you got a deal. 
Okay. But you have to do it first. You're safe. Oh man. Well, this is this has been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, oh yeah, any well, we're, we're we mentioned Vinnie Vincent earlier. Um, we're both giant Kiss nerds. Um, is there oh, any yeah. any particular stories or memories of the times you've had the uh, the guys in the band on the show? I don't know. Well, hold on. Let's see. I have to get on my Brandvold hat. How's that? Oh boy. Is that a little? <laughs> my <Michael> Brandvold <laughs> talk about Kiss hat? Well, it actually, it's my metal shop hat. Yeah. But um, yeah, you can take that off. Nothing I can tell. Oh, I can't. Every story I've got is is about Gene, and it involves women, and it involves drugs, and, and I'm not, I can't. It involves drugs. Gene was there. Wherever Gene is, someone's following him around to take care of the girls and the disc jockeys. Trust me. Yeah, wow. I know. <laughs> we talking a little payola happening back in the back in the day. It wasn't payola. They gave me some of theirs. I gave them some of mine. It, you know. Mutually beneficial. You know, it, always shared or and or paid for. You know, I, I I was really careful about that because I noticed that if something was around and something happened, there would be a, a group of record promoters who would always, you know, go, hey, hey, could you do me a favor? What do you mean a favor? Well, I just need you to report that as an ad. You don't have to play it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tried to keep the, the scales balanced, you know, from then on. And that was really about 1970. Where I, well, I'll bet you had a lot of people trying to grease your palm. Oh, God, yeah. I've been offered, you know, stacks of gas. <clears throat> and I'm yeah. going to go there. And, and thank God I'm not in jail yet. You probably got some amazing concert tickets out of the deal, though. Oh, the best. The best. But remember, most of the shows from the mid-'70s on were with radio stations. Right. right. The individual concert promoters who weren't all a part of, you know, Live Nation, they actually had their own concert business in their own town. They would trade advertising for tickets. So we got a hundred tickets for yes, and uh, they got a bunch of a bunch of commercials on the radio, you know, and it worked out great. My my favorite that I remember doing that we actually got front row seats was Alice Cooper, the Welcome to My Nightmare tour, with Hunter and Wagner on guitars yeah. at Boston Garden. Wow! Jesus, they kicked ass. Best oh, concert I've ever seen. In, All right on. Hunter and Wagner were like on fire, and Alice just dancing around his, you know, little thing in the middle there with a the guillotine, and and they're on each side of him, blowing out flames. That was a one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was fantastic, and Alice has always been there. He was, I would say, about our third or fourth guest was Alice Cooper. He was the first rock star I ever met. 1970, I come out of the Navy. I go to W1AP in Indianapolis. And it's Jethro Tull with uh, Alice Cooper opening at some uh, National Guard armory in uh, Indianapolis. And the afternoon of the show, Warner Brothers had a little gathering over at the hotel, which was right across the street from where the radio station was. So I go up there. There's a big round table. Alice has got the snake. Ro- going, crawling around on the big round table 
And I'd, I guess there's 20 people there. I, you know, I, I did look at him and I said, you realize that where I grew up, all the snakes were, were moccasins and were poisonous. He goes, aren't they all? <laughs> and I go, wow. I got this guy figured out. I got it. So he was, he's been cool. And he came and did the show on Metal Shop when, when nobody else was there yet. You know, yeah. we managed to, uh, it took a lot of talking, but to get quiet, riot to, to get, get there. Uh, cause you know, they, they wanted to do it a whole nother way, but they saw the, what could be a good thing with metal shop. And it turned out good. The thing with Alice was in 2002, I think it was three, two or three, right after nine 11, Alice's show his nighttime radio show was an idea. And uh, the guy, one of the guys I was working with was producing it. And he says, come, the, come back in tonight, you know, at like eight o'clock. I come in, Alice Cooper's there and we got to produce a demo for Alice's show. You know, and I'm like, I'm producing Alice Cooper. This is cool. Yeah. <laughs> but he was great. Everything I told him, everything I fed him. And he was feeling kind of unsure. And I looked at him and I said, we haven't said anything. And I know you probably don't remember me, but you did my show Metal Shop. You were the first guest host. You hosted a Halloween special. And you were fucking fantastic. Do that. And you're guaranteed hit. He went, oh, yeah, I remember you. I got Jeez. it, and he had it. From then on, he was there. So that was fun to be a part of. Man, awesome. that is amazing. Yeah, he, he's a good guy. You know, we did a, we did a bunch of stuff with him when I was working in Phoenix. It was great. Right on. Love Alice Cooper. Um, amazing live, too. Yeah, I'm very, very jealous you got to see Hunter and Wagner play on that tour. That's amazing. From the front row. Oh, they, oh, they were the same with, with Lou Reed. Yeah, I got to see him with Lou too, and that was <laughs> rock and roll animal. I mean, it was it was awesome. Yeah, we got to we got close to Dick Wagner towards the end of his life. Got to do some or a couple of really good interviews with him, and a very sweet man. But God, the, the talent on that guy—just some of the most amazing guitar playing you'll ever hear. Yeah, yeah, they were oh. they were both, you know, in the Zach Wild, you know, <laughs> over the top category. I mean. The, it's astounding and it's it's amazing what happens with with guys who are that good that it all ends up being, you know, jukebox hero, you know. Right. Johnny died with his guitar and a bottle of whiskey in his hand. You know, it's it's awful. The terrible thing. Yeah. And I I could have been me, but I got free. You know, it looks like Corey's got everything full steam ahead with the show. And um I wanna remind people one more time before where you can where you can check out the show because I know everyone's going to be asking and you're not going li to look into the show notes like I've told you to do already and you're just going to ask me so let me save you the time you're still going <laughs> to ask me after I t say it here but let's do it anyway um, all the locations are on charliekendall.com there you oh, go that, that, that makes my life so much easier go to charliekendall.com and you've got it I mean the, there's the, there's the sheet that you're reading from is right there and I and I tell everybody when I'm posting you know run out a copy. Put it on your fridge. Right. And so if you're listening to this, 
and you're about Chris and I's age, then you know exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about Metal Shop. And if you're a little bit younger than us, maybe you don't know. But there's some episodes that are available on YouTube that you can check out. For free. And you will know that this thing had a huge impact on the rock and rollers of that era in a lot of the same way as radio did back when it was good. And in a lot of the same ways that when the Headbangers Ball on MTV was a thing. Yep. When hard rock and metal ruled the freaking world, man, we looked to Charlie Kendall and we looked to Metal Shop to keep us up to date on all the things going on. And, man, Charlie, I love you, man. I just got to tell you, I'm I'm blown away that we're talking to you here today. I am. It's awesome. And I'm so happy that Metal Shop is back. I wish it never had to go away to begin with. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. It's an honor to talk to you. And one last thing, and this is me being goofy. I always thought your voice bared a striking resemblance to the guy that did the voiceover work on the TV show Cheaters. Do you remember the show Cheaters? No, I don't. It was a show that was about surveillance cameras following around cheating couples. Or people oh, cheating yeah. on their spouses. I remember the guy that. that, that did... used to come on at like 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah. And the guy that did the voiceover, I always thought, I was like, that sounds like the Charlie from Metal Shop. And then I, I, I'm scouring through your thing. I'm like, no, it's not him. No, but can did. you do me a quick favor and just say, up next, the confrontation. Up next, the confrontation. He sounds just like that. Oh, God, guy. I hear it now. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Oh. Thank you for letting me uh, do that to you real quick. Um, but that, that's so awesome. Um, so we'll have the link. We'll have the link to Charlie's website. Metal Shop will up. We'll keep. We'll keep promoting the weekly show through the Decibel Geek page because we want to see this thing take off. Because yeah. I, you know, it's it's like uh, it's like an old friend coming back. We yeah. just love it. Thank you. And you know, Charlie, we don't never ask anybody to do this, but since we got you here, I'm going to ask: Can you give us a Decibel Geek outro on this episode? This is Charlie Kendall from Metal Shop, and you've been listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. I love it. Thank you, Charlie. Awesome. Let's take a look at next week's edition of Metal Shop. The world premieres keep on coming, and next week, Metal Shop walks the razor's edge with ACDC. ACDC are back with their first album in three years, and these bad boys are boogieing harder than ever. We'll talk with frontman Brian Johnson and guitar maniac Angus Young about the making of the LP, new drummer Chris Slade, and the return of guitarist Malcolm Young. Plus, you'll hear cuts from The Razor's Edge. It's another Metal Shop World Premiere blockbuster with ACDC. Next week on Metal Shop. The only show with teeth. Metal Shop is brought to you by the U.S. Army, a place to be all you can be. And by new Jumpin' Jack cheese-flavored Doritos brand tortilla chips. Doritos knows jack about cheese.